children of Israel uh, is getting ready to change. They've made their way into the promised land and uh, they have begun to settle that land and people are are sort of, uh, you know, dissipating and, and dispensing to their particular uh, areas and to their particular uh, land and heritage. And Joshua knows this is going to be one of the last times he'll be able to publicly address the entirety of the nation of Israel. And he encourages them. He says, you know, now is a day to choose to serve the Lord. And he says, you have a choice now as you go off and uh, build your homes and build your lives as to how you're going to live. He says, you have a choice that you can serve the gods which your fathers served. You can serve the gods from the other side of Egypt. You can serve the gods of this pagan land. But he says, I don't know, fellas, what you're going to do. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the God of the Bible. Thereby Joshua effectively draws a line in the sand. And he says to them, I I cannot control what you do, but I can control what I do. And I'm committing to myself and to the Lord right now that if nobody else serves God, he says, Joshua's house is still going to keep serving God. When I think about that phrase, as for me, it strikes me as a statement that can be used in about three different ways. Let me say number one tonight, it is a statement of recognition and distinction. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it's the recognition that it is both acceptable and appropriate for the believer to be different from the world that he lives in. You know, we live in a day today of conformity. We live in a day where much peace of mind is found in conformity. And we live in a day where people uh, find their peace and find their confidence in going along with the crowd. Can I tell you this evening, hey, listen, it's always been the lot of God's people to not go the direction the world is going. I know it may be uncomfortable to us sometimes to think, you know, we might be in the minority, we might be in a group of people that are not accepted and are not appreciated, but you just go ahead and mark her down. God's people should always be standing on the Lord's side irrespective of whether the world is looking or not. You know, the truth of the matter is this, we might as well just grow comfortable with it. A lot of what we're seeing in modern day Christianity, and I suppose it's going to continue until things reach a certain point, but you're seeing a culture shock of Christians that have been able to enjoy being in the moral majority, now all of a sudden in the maligned minority. All of a sudden now we don't have the influence with kin that we used to have and people are struggling with it. I'm talking about people are, are breaking down over it. But listen, God's people have always been different from the world around them. It shouldn't surprise us. And Joshua, here's what he's saying. He's saying it's okay for you to do what you're going to do because I can't stop you. But he says it's also okay for me to do what I know to be right in spite of what the world is doing. Isn't it funny this strange definition of tolerance that exists in the world today, which what tolerance means is tolerance for anything except somebody that feels differently about a matter than you do. Amen? Oh, what a strange, strange tolerance that exists in the world today. Uh, there's going to be people don't like it when you serve God. There's going to be people get upset when you serve God. There's going to be people scratch their head when you serve God. You say, what do I do, preacher? Go ahead and serve God. Let them scratch their head. That'll be alright. Amen? That'll help them a little. It won't hurt anything for you to go ahead and be different from the world around you. That's how God designed us. So it's a statement of recognition and distinction. I would say number two, it is a statement of resolve and determination. So he's not merely making this statement to other believers and saying, you know, it's all right, folks, that we be different from the world around us. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's how God designed it. But I think it is also a statement to himself that he is unwilling to yield to the fears and anxieties brought on 
by standing for the Lord. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's talking to other believers, but he's talking to himself and he's reminding himself, hey Joshua, you done made your mind up a long time ago that you're going to go on for the Lord regardless of what people think about it. We might as well steal ourselves. You know what I mean? Steal our, like, like metal. Steal ourselves uh, for standing in opposition to this world system. Uh, the truth is, it's going to take some resolve. It's going to take some determination. It's easy inside the halls of this house right here to stand up and say amen and to, to stand with the Lord's people. It's easy when the preacher says something in this place to say amen to it. But we're going to walk out into a hostile world that's not going to appreciate our Bible Christianity. They're not going to appreciate our biblical stand. And when we do, we're going to have to commit it in our heart of hearts that we're willing to go out into that world and be reproached and be maligned and be despised and be rejected by this world. Joshua is saying this, I don't know what anyone else is going to do, but I'm committing that I am going to continue to stand for the Lord. So it's a statement of recognition and it's a statement of distinction. It's a statement of resolve and of determination. But then I'd say this, and there's a part of me that likes this. I'll admit to you, there, my, my flesh sort of likes this. It's a statement of rebellion and defiance. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, he's looking at other believers and he's saying, you know, it's okay for God's people to be different. And then he's looking at himself and saying, Joshua, remember, it's okay for you to be different. It's all right for you to be different from the world around you. You need to be living righteously. Go ahead and make your mind up, Joshua, that you're not going to bend or bow. But then I think he's looking at a godless world and he's saying, you may not like it. <laughs> you may wish it was different. It may offend your sensibilities, but the fact is, I couldn't care less. I've made my mind up that I'm going to stand for God. I was a youth pastor for a few years, and I'm of the firm conviction what we need to do, some of us, we need to get rebellious as teenagers. Uh, the, the thing is, we don't need to be rebellious the way teenagers are rebellious, but we need to be as rebellious as they are. Oftentimes, teenagers will rebel against the Lord and His Word. They'll rebel against their parents and their authority. Let me tell you something, us Bible-believing Christian adults, we need a good old dose of rebellion and defiance against the world system that seeks to bow us to their knees and to make us in their image instead of in Christ's image. One old missionary, and I think this is probably the best way to say it, uh, it's a commitment that we are unbending to the world's pressure and we are unheeding to the world's pleasures. One missionary uh, wrote this in the flyleaf of his Bible. We, I could give you the whole story of his life. William Borden, not the cheese Borden, but the silver mines Borden. William Borden, who was a missionary, uh, a young man uh, at the turn of the uh, 1900s, went to Yale College, cast off all of his family fortune uh, to answer the call to the mission field to go to China. And he never made it there. He wound up dying in Egypt. He had stopped there to learn Arabic. He was wanting to go and minister to Muslims in China and he uh, died there of meningitis but he uh, uh, they, they said that afterwards they, they looked in the fly leaf of William Borden's Bible and he had three things written there. Uh, he had three statements. The first was this. He said no reserves. No reserve. Now you and I, we oftentimes ain't got much to reserve but this man's a millionaire. And he said no reserves. You know what he's saying? I don't want anything left in the tank when my life is over. I don't want anything left in the tank. I want to run my life bone dry for Jesus Christ and leave nothing on the table. Below that, here's what he wrote. He said, no retreat. Not turning back. Not going back. Not giving up. I'm only pressing forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. This last statement was not found until after his death when his personal possessions were retrieved. And it's assumed that he penned this in his dying days. But he wrote below it. It said, no reserves. It said no retreat. And then right below that, here's what he wrote. He wrote, 
No regrets. No regrets. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, I'm committed to live my life for Christ. Though the whole world may stand against me, I'm willing to give my all for Jesus Christ. That's the kind of rebellion God's people need. I'm ta- Are you with me tonight? Hey, turn your hearing aid up if you can't hear me. You're all right. Amen. Don't act like you ran out of batteries. Turn that hearing aid up. I'm saying God's people need to be willing to stand in opposition to a godless world and be willing to stand out and be different than the world around us. So when I read this statement as for me, I find it to be a statement of these three ways. You know, perhaps David was stirred by the great example of Joshua. Because when you read through the book of Psalms, here's what you'll find. You'll find that seven different times David used this phrase, as for me. It would seem that the basic principles that govern David's life sprang sharply into focus with these statements. He was basically saying this, you can make your choice, but as for me, here's where I stand. Thus he flings down the gauntlet to all who aspire to live life on the highest plane. So let's look tonight at those seven examples and then we'll close in the service. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 55. Psalms chapter 55. Seven areas of David's life where he said, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care where the world goes. I don't care what the world does. Here is what I'm doing in my life. Psalms chapter 55. Now incidentally, this is a messianic psalm. And that's important to know when we look at it here in a moment. In other words, this uh, psalm, though it was penned by David, though it was written by the Holy Ghost, the subject of it is the Messiah. It is a prophetic psalm that is looking forward to the ministry of the Messiah. And I think you'll pick up on that when you read this passage. Look at verse number 12 with me, Psalms 55, 12. Uh, The Bible says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. Now you know what we're talking about there, right? That's prophetically speaking of Judas who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says down in verse 16. These being the prophetic words of our Savior, what was in his heart and what was in his mind. He says this in verse 16. As for me... I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Let me say, I think that uh, this passage reminds me of David's commitment, of his decision, of his determination in the matter of conversion or of receiving Christ. Now, we both know, we've talked about how this is a messianic psalm. And so when it says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me, there's three ways we can understand that. One, we can understand what David was saying when he pinned it down. And very likely he's talking about some betrayal that has transpired in his life, but how he's not going to lean on the arm of the flesh. He's going to ask God to be his portion and ask God to deliver him from whatever that is. But looking prophetically forward, we understand that that's speaking of Christ on the cross of Calvary, Brother Ken, and Him saying that He was going to trust His heavenly Father to deliver Him from the suffering and from the reproach of the cross of Calvary. But there's a third way we might think about it. Now listen to me. Uh, You have the the salvation Christ speaks of on the cross, but you know what happened when you and I got born again? Uh, What He did on the cross, He did for us. And His salvation on the cross became our salvation. In other words, we share in what took place 
both on the cross, but also in the empty tomb and in the, the resurrected Savior, we share in that salvation. So when David says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me, I understand he's talking about something in his life, but it sort of reminds me of our spirit and our attitude as regards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I just say, listen, I know it's a Sunday night. I know probably everybody in here, except maybe some of the little ones, you know Christ as your Savior, and I understand that. But let me just say to you tonight, listen, if you're on the edge, if you're on the fence, if you're trying to figure it out, if you're worried what somebody might think, if you're worried what somebody might say, here's what you ought to do. You ought to say, the world may choose to die in its sins, reject the loving Savior, die and go to a devil's hell, but as for me... I'm going to receive Jesus Christ. In fact, a man never gets born again until he's willing to say, as for me. Every one of us that's saved, you know what happened? One day we quit listening about the flesh. We quit listening about our fears. We quit listening about the opinions of men, Brother Ken. And we said, as for me, I won't die and go to hell just to make anybody else happy. I won't die and go to hell to save anyone any embarrassment. I won't die and go to hell to fit in with any crowd. As for me, I'm going to receive Christ. That's how we got born again. That's how you got born again. It may not have been that dramatic in the, in the proclamation of that statement, but the sentiment, the spirit of it was there just the same. You said, I'm not going to allow anything or anyone else to drag me to hell. I'm going to call on Christ and be saved. Turn with me to Psalms 26 tonight. So we see the first one regarding conversion, receiving Christ. But let's look at this second one here tonight. Psalms chapter number 26, verse number 8. Look what the Bible says with me tonight. It says, Lord... I've loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. In this psalm, David is lamenting the wickedness of unrighteous men, how that they live disregarding God and disregarding the Word of God. He talks about them. He calls them bloody men there in verse number 9. In verse 10, he calls them men in whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. In other words, he was saying these are people that are trying to undercut my uh, station in life. They're trying to set me off my throne. They're trying to destroy me. They're going to the lowest possible place to try to wreck and to ruin my life. But here's what David says. They may go low, but we ain't going to go down low with them. They may waller in the mud, but we're not going to waller in the mud with them. They may do the most vile and wicked and unethical things, but here's what he said. As for me, I will walk in mine integrity. He says, in other words, just because the world's living wickedly doesn't mean I'm going to live wickedly with them. This speaks of our conduct and living righteously. Can I tell you, this world ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Listen, the all millennial has been preaching it's going to get better for a long time. They must have had to throw out their TVs to believe that. You look at the world around us, things ain't getting better. Man, it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. And we're living in a state of decline, I think, politically in our, our country and culturally. We're watching corruption run rampant before us and it's being embraced and it's being applauded by personal immorality of the population of our people where any and everything is considered to be appropriate and considered to be okay. Uh, people that are deviants, people that are perverts, people that are warped and polluted people are uh, attaining to the highest places of power in our country. The wicked are prevailing. And listen, I ain't just talking about whatever we think about the president. If you want to ask me what I think about the president, come and talk. 
talk to me. And I'll tell you what I think. But I ain't even just talking about them, man. I'm talking about both parties. I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. I'm talking about both ends of the swamp. I, I don't know if I'm getting volume or it's getting volume, but I'm starting to feel a little better now. Somebody say amen. I'm talking about both sides of it. Wickedness prevailing. And it seems as though the most vile men are elevating to the greatest position. And as God's people, we're going to have to make up our mind. We ain't going to go with them. We ain't going to go with them. There's no telling what they're going to legalize. There ain't no telling what they're going to try to sanitize. But as God's people, we need to make up our mind. Hey, listen, this is where I stand. And could be it don't help me a bit, but I'm going to walk in mine integrity. Could be it don't get me an inch further up the ladder of this world, but I'm going to walk in mine integrity. I like what he says there. He says, my foot standeth in an even place. In other words, Brother Ken, here's what he's saying. There's valleys and there's hills. There's rocky places and precarious spaces. But he says, my feet are standing on an even place. You understand the Word of God. It don't never change. It's the same terrain that it's always been. He's saying, I'm going to stand right where God wants me to. Turn with me to Psalms 35 this evening. Psalms 35. And if it feels like I'm preaching fast, it's because i got 150 points. So, Psalms 35. And let's begin reading in verse number 11. Psalms 35, verse number 11. Here, another messianic psalm. Uh, but in the practical application of it, let's think about it tonight. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. And my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. You know, one of the things we're seeing in society today is the mainstreaming of predatory behavior. We've watched this happen economically over the past several years in which there's a, a, a systemic problem of preying upon those that have the least wisdom or wherewithal to protect themselves. And we're living in an environment today uh, where cold callousness is the common spirit and disposition of the day. It reminds me of the Lord Jesus as He hung on the cross of Calvary. And you can tell, Brother Kim, by what's being said there, you can tell that's what it's talking about, about those false witnesses that stood up and lied on the Lord Jesus and said things that were not true. When He says they laid to my charge things that I knew not, how could the Son of God not know them? Well, only if they weren't true in the first place. Amen? And so they laid these charges against Him. They rewarded Him evil for good to the spoiling of His soul. But you know, Jesus, despite that, He maintained a heartbeat for those people. On the cross of Calvary, here's what He prayed. He said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I would say this in the area of conversion, in the area of conduct, but I would say in the area of concern, we ought to make our stand. In a world that is learning to grow comfortable, wallowing in misery, we as God's people should never allow ourselves to grow a callous over the heart of Christ in us and no longer feel for a hurting and dying world. In other words, it regards loving others. I'd say it would have been easy for Jesus to hang on that cross and, and to say, you know, Lord, judge them. Destroy it, Give them what they deserve. And they would have deserved it. But that's not what He did. Instead, He said, Father, forgive them. In that prayer is contained the very spirit of divinity of the Lord Jesus. The greatest, uh, most high, most elevated words ever spoken 
were spoken by God the Son, the Son of God, as He died for the sons of men. And at a time when it would have been... There's no time it would have been more just for man to be destroyed than there at Calvary. Isn't that true, Brother Charles? There's no time when man did as much wickedness to as innocent as a person as on the cross of Calvary. If ever there was a time when it would have been appropriate to say, God, wipe them out. They're corrupt. Every one of them. Their mouth's an open sepulcher. God destroy them. It would have been that moment. But in pure divine strength, the Son of God said, No, Father, forgive them. Say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you this. We wouldn't be sitting here if he hadn't prayed that. Who was the them? He wasn't just talking about those Romans. Uh, He wasn't just talking about the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was talking about all of a wicked world that was responsible for putting him on that cross. He fulfilled his own prayer that day when he died in our place, making possible the forgiveness of any that would come unto him. It's amazing to me that there on the cross, he did not allow uh, callousness to creep in. He maintained compassion and concern. You know, we ought to say this. Listen, it could be uh, that the whole world begins to be for them and their own. Dog eat dog. But as a child of God, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to continue to love people. I'm going to continue to keep my heart open to those that are hurting and trying to reach them with the gospel of Christ. Turn over to Psalms chapter 5 with me. Psalms chapter 5. And look with me at verses 5 through 7. Psalms chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. We've talked about conversion in Psalms 55. Uh, We're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about conduct in Psalms 26, 11, that we're going to live righteously no matter what. We've talked about concern in Psalms 35, 13. We're going to love others even when it's not easy and even when it's not expected. Look what it says in Psalms chapter 5, verse 5. It says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in thy fear while I worship toward thy holy temple. Now what's David saying there? He's speaking about the end of unrighteous men. And he's saying, you know, Brother Charlie, right now these men are, are, are succeeding and prevailing and advancing. And right now, by all outward appearances, it looks like they've got the upper hand. It looks like they've made the wise choice. They're living how they want. They're enjoying the pleasures of this world. And they uh, seem to be benefiting from it. But he reminds himself and he reminds us, you know, there's coming a day that God's going to judge those people. He's going to deal with those people. Hey, listen, i got news for you. I don't know that anything's ever going to be done about the wickedness going on right now in our government. I don't know that anything's ever going to be done on this side of glory about the wickedness going on in our society. I don't know that anything's ever going to be done about the wickedness in our economic system on this side of heaven. But there is coming a day when God's going to do something about it. He's going to deal with it. But here's what David says. He says, there's come the day that God's going to destroy all these people. He's going to deal with them. He's going to judge them in His righteousness. But he says, as for me, here's what I'm going to do, Brother Ken. He said, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. David says, I could get down and roll in the mud with them. I could, I, I could lay in bed and grieve myself to death worrying over them. He said, well, here's what I could do. I could get up, wash myself, and go to the house of God, and meet with God, and be where God wants me to be. I could belong to Him and be in His house and where He'd desire for me to be. In other words, He's speaking about consecration. And I just wrote it down this way. I'm simple, and sometimes I need it to be simple for me. Going to church. Going to church. 
He says, the world's burning down. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to church. <laughs> the world is falling apart. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to church. Wicked men are unchecked and unchallenged. What am I going to do? I'm going to remember that one day God's going to deal with it and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to keep living for God. We need to make our mind up that no matter what direction the world's going, we're going to keep going towards the Lord. Going towards the Lord. Why, why do we come here? Uh, we don't do it because it impresses people. I hate to tell you this, you're probably taking a hit to your reputation just by being here tonight. Uh, I, we don't do it because it impresses people. I, I hope you get help out of the preaching, but just hang around long enough. I, I'll, I'll lay a few goose eggs, amen? I, I, so the, the fact is, you, you ain't coming for that. Why do we come? We come because we're the Lord's people. Is the Lord's house. We belong to Him. It's where we're supposed to be. And we get the help and encouragement that we need. Not from the preacher, but from the Lord Himself. We need to commit, no matter what direction the world's going, we're going to stay consecrated unto the Lord. We're going to keep our eyes on Him. We're going to keep our focus on Him. We're going to keep our faith in Him. We're just going to keep on going for the Lord. Not only that, look at verse number... Uh, well, I'm used to preaching this like an expository message. Turn over to Psalms 41 with me. Turn over to Psalms 41. Normally when I go to the next point, I say, look at verse so-and-so. Because I don't preach these topical messages anymore. I'm a better preacher than that. Amen. But this is what the Lord wanted. Psalms chapter 41. I hate topical messages. Except this one. This one's real good. Amen. But Psalms chapter 41. Well, that's yet to be found out. Psalms 41. Let's, let's let begin reading in verse number 9. So we've talked about our, our conversion, our conduct, our concern, our consecration. But look what he says in verse number 9 of Psalms 41. Again, another messianic psalm. Isn't it amazing that, that the vast majority of these statements David makes, Brother Charlie, he makes them in these messianic psalms. It's almost like he's saying, my resolve comes from my relationship to the Savior. Amen. When did David have the most resolve, Brother Ken? When he looked like Jesus. When he sounded like Jesus. When he was talking like Jesus. That's when he had the most resolve. Amen. When are we going to have the most resolve? When are we going to have the most backbone? When we're walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and living like Jesus and looking like Jesus and talking like Jesus. The closer we are to Him, the closer we're going to be to what God wants us to be. He says in verse 9, Yea, Mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now we know, again, he's talking about Judas. He says, but thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Now what's he saying here? He's saying that wicked men have sought to destroy me. But I like what he says down there in verse number 11. By this I know that thou favorest me because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Now can I remind you that this is pinned down in the Old Testament on the other side of Calvary, you understand. And so it's looking prophetically forward to what Christ would do on the cross of Calvary. But you know, you and I sit here in this church age, this dispensation of grace, and we look backwards and we know what's been done on the cross of Calvary for us. And so we might say it this way, but we know, he's saying, I know the Lord loves me because He's going to defeat my enemy. But where we sit, you know what we can say? that Boy, this is a real New Testament sounding thing. You ready? I know the Lord loves me because He defeated my enemy. And in that victory that He won on the cross of Calvary over the world, the flesh, and the devil, in that we have the confidence we need to face the world around us. In fact, I think that's what He's talking about is confidence. We might say it this way, trusting God. 
He's saying, the world has set itself against me. But I've done made up my mind. I'm going to trust God to see me through. You know, we need to make up our mind this evening. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. God's trustworthy. We don't know what may happen in the coming days, weeks, months, years. We have a biblical understanding of a general direction and trajectory. And I, you know, I made this statement lately. I don't know. I don't know if I made it in here in Senior Saints. Uh, when you preach like I do, it just all blurs together. Amen. <laughs> but uh, I've made this statement. I'm going to make it again about the promises of God. Do you know what I'm about to say? The promises of God. They are overbuilt for the world we live in. Now you might say, Preacher, what do you mean by that? I'm saying this. God's promises have upheld the people of God in a lot harder times than what we're living through. I'm talking about times when they'd see their, their children burn at the stake in front of them, see their children put in bags and thrown to wild beasts. I'm talking about see their spouses and their family drowned right in front of their very eyes. And all they have to do to make it stop is just recant the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably a lot of them did, but thank God there's some of them that didn't and stood and said, I don't care, I'm going to trust God. You may destroy this flesh, you may destroy this body, but I'm going to commit myself unto the Lord, which has the ability to destroy the body and the soul. But here's what He's going to do for the righteous. He's going to uphold their soul, though you may destroy their body. I'm saying this now, we're living in these days and I don't know what they'll continue to look like, but I know no matter what they look like, the promises of God are yea and amen. And they are sufficient for whatever we're facing. We need to go ahead and just make up our mind. Listen, there may be other folks going to panic into into, into a breakdown, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. I ain't saying I don't have fears. I ain't saying I don't have worries. Man, I I do, just like you do. I, I look at what's going on in the world around us, and man, I it, it, anytime you turn on the news, man, it's like it's like picking up that rock and seeing that squished spider. You you know, you do it, but then you you, you hate that you did it, amen. And uh, unless you hate spiders, then you may be glad he squashed, amen. But I, you know, I, I when I look at this stuff and I man, what are they gonna do? They're gonna come for my kids? Maybe. Maybe. They're gonna come from. They're gonna come for your guns because I don't own none. I lost all mine in the boat accident. They're gonna come for your guns. Maybe they're gonna come for our church. Maybe I don't know what they're gonna do. And it's easy if you ain't careful, man. You can just you can worry yourself into a fit. I'm talking about where you can't sleep at night. I'm talking about where you wake up with nightmares from. So, preacher, what are we gonna do? Why we're just gonna go ahead and trust God because He's trustworthy. Say, but preacher, don't you see what's going on? Hey, listen, I don't care what's going on. As for me, I'm going to trust God that He's in control. Well, don't you know? Didn't you read that article? Didn't you see that that segment? Hey, listen, I understand all that, but here's what I'm going to do. As for me, I'm just going to keep trusting God. He's never failed me. I'm just going to keep on trusting. So we see confidence mentioned in Psalms 41. Turn with me to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. One of the more famous psalms in the Word of God. Psalm 69. Look with me at verse number 6. The Bible says this, Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. By the way, this is a messianic psalm. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb 
to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Here again, we have a messianic psalm laid forth before us, and the Lord Jesus, He's speaking about the rejection of His messianic office by the nation of Israel. He's talking about how that His own brethren despised Him and rejected Him. When He speaks about the zeal of thine house, you'll find that quote in the New Testament when He overturned the tables of the money changers there in the temple and uh, talking about their response. They didn't respond by repenting. They uh, responded by despising Him. And uh, from that day forward in the Lord's ministry, it seems as though the hostility uh, opened up into entirely new gear. And He talks about how even close friends hated Him and despised Him and how He wept and chastened His soul and they mocked Him and made fun of Him. He made sackcloth His garment and He became a proverb unto them. In other words, they snickered at Him. They they made fun of Him. He became sort of a byword to them. And He said, they that sit in the gates speak against Me. And I was the song of the drunkards. He was saying, hey, even the beggars and even the drunkards are despising Me. What's He going to do about it? Now, he has the ability as God himself to change their opinion if he wants to. Talking about miraculously. He could have just made them feel different. He could have snuffed them all out. He could have destroyed them. He could have ignored them. But here's what he did. He said, as for me, my prayer is unto thee. I would, I would, I would classify it under this. We, we've talked about conversion and we've talked about conduct and concern and consecration and confidence. But I'd say this. This talks about contact. Maintaining our prayer He says, I could do a lot of things to deal with this, but instead I'm going to pray to my Father and let Him take care of all of it. Can I just make a a simple statement to you, but I think think it's it's important. I think it's powerful. Uh, The most out of style thing in the church today is prayer. It's the most out of style thing in church today. It's viewed as a pleasantry and nothing much more. One of the things, and man, I'm burdened for it. We need to do more around here, just to be honest. We do. Uh, we need to do more praying around here. Uh, we do more praying than, than half the churches you drive 20 miles and find, but we still need to be doing more. Uh, uh, but in most churches today, it's viewed as a formality to get out of the way. It's viewed, may, maybe in some real spiritual ones, it's viewed as a seasoning to sprinkle on top of the, the, of the production. But for God's people, listen, prayer ought to be one of the main things. And in a day when praying is out of vogue and out of style, when God's people solving things not by signing petitions, not by going to marches, not by phoning a senator, but by storming the throne room of heaven and asking the God of glory to intervene, hey, we need to be doing that. The greatest thing you can do for your country is pray for it. Say, but preacher, I'm going to write a letter. That's good. I, I, that, that's fine. I don't, I, I'm not trying to stop you. Uh, but you get a lot more done if you pray. You say, but preacher, I'm going to call and I'm going to let them know. I hate to tell you this, they don't care what you think. They don't. They don't care what you think. Doesn't matter to them. Uh, But you know God cares. God cares. Oh, preacher, I'm going to go down and march. Yeah, it looks like it's effective, doesn't it? But you know what does something? Prayer. Prayer. When prayer is falling out of style and out of vogue, in the, in the New Testament church today. You know what we ought to do as, as God's people? We ought to say, hey, listen, it may be nobody else is interested in it, but I'm going to keep praying. It might be that no one else thinks it means anything, but I'm going to keep praying. It might be that nobody else thinks it's powerful, but 
And I'm going to keep praying because I know that God hears and answers prayer. We ought to maintain contact with Him. Well, let me give you one more and we'll be done tonight. Turn with me to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. We'll read this last one and then we'll be done. So, he talks about conversion, receiving Christ. Conduct, living righteously. Concern, loving others. Consecration, going to church. Confidence, trusting God. Contact, maintaining prayer. But in Psalm 17, listen to what he says. Look with me at verse 8. The psalmist says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand. O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. But he says in verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. The psalmist is speaking here of the wicked contentment of evil men. And what he's saying is that they seem to have everything they need in life, but it's never enough. And They gather around him. He talks about them being enclosed in their own fat. And he's talking about his, their wealth and, and their prosperity. Talking about with their mouth, they speak proudly. They have no consciousness of God. He says they've compassed us in our steps and set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey. And as it were, a young lion lurking in secret places. He's saying they're, they're, they're circling us, Brother Ken. They're circling us and looking at us and licking their lips and their chops and, and sharpening their fangs. They're just getting ready to take more from us and, and getting ready to destroy us. And the psalmist says, Lord, arise. And I like this. Disappoint him. Amen. Disappoint him. Make that lion turn around and go back hungry. Amen. Disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. And he talks about later on here, says in their life, he says, whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. In other words, he's saying, even when their life is over and it isn't over, they're raising another generation of godless people that have the same things. And they're never satisfied and they're ever increasing, but never full. But here's what he said, as for me, here's what I want out of life, he says. I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake with thy likeness. In other words, he's looking at the unsatiable uh, desire of wicked men for the pleasures of this world. And it's like David says, you know, there's only one thing I never get enough of. And that's the Lord. I just never get enough of Him. I'll be satisfied, he says, when I awake with thy likeness. Now, when are we going to awake with His likeness, Brother Charlie? One of these days, when we when we die, we're going to awake in His likeness. Our vile body be made like unto His glorious body. Now we see in a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know even as also we are known. And the Bible talks about us being converted into His image through His glory. There's coming a day when we die, we're going to awake and be like Jesus. And here's what He's saying. He's saying, I ain't going to be satisfied with the Lord until that happens. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep pursuing Him, Brother Ken, 
I'm going to keep living for Him until the day comes that I awake with His likeness. We could use this word here, and it's the word consummation. In other words, finishing well. The psalmist says, I'm going to live my life for the Lord until my life is all gone. I'm going to give everything I've got. Kind of like that fellow said that we talked about early in the message. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. I'm going to keep pressing forward and I'm only going to be content when I'm in His presence. It's almost like David saying this, other men are chasing everything around and they're looking for everything else to try to satisfy them. But he said, I found satisfaction in the Lord Jesus and I'm going to keep serving Him and I'm going to keep living for Him until the day that I see Him. David says, everybody else may turn aside to other things, but as for me, I'm going to finish well. I'm going to keep on going. Sort of reminds you what the Apostle Paul said, don't it? When he said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. He said, I've kept the faith. In other words, Paul was saying, I never gave up on him. I let him down a lot, but I never gave up on him. Other folks give up on him, and they do sometimes. But Paul says, praise God, I never gave up on him. He should have given up on me. But he never gave up on me and I never gave up on him. Paul could say, ending his life, hey, I gave 110%. I gave everything I could. You know, we ought to make our mind up. Though other folks may flake out. Though other folks may turn back. Though other folks may may give up. That we're going to finish well. If we're the last one on God's earth still running, we ought to still commit to finish well. Like the old song says, hey, though none go with you. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Still I will follow. Hey, He came after you when nobody was looking for you. You ought to keep going after Him though nobody's looking for Him. He came found you where you were when wasn't nobody interested in you. I'm talking about the devil wasn't interested in you anymore. He done wrecked your life and left you laying there like that Samaritan half dead. And the Lord came and found you. Hey, when nobody was looking for you, He was looking for you. So listen, There may come a day, ain't nobody looking for Him. But we ought to keep looking for Him. We ought to keep going after Him. We ought to commit to finishing well. Well, I don't know about you, but as for me, I may not always do these things the way I should and the way I wish, but as for me, I'm going to keep on going with Him. Let's bow together this evening as a musician comes to play, the altar's open. Hey, maybe it'd be good for us to make our mind up about some things tonight. You might as well make your mind up now because when the time comes that it matters, it'll be too late to make up your mind then. So go ahead and make your mind up now. I'm going to keep on going for Him. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep living for Him. Preacher, what may happen? I don't know what may happen, but I know what's right no matter what happens is to keep on going for Him. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Melissa's going to play.